So Matthew chapter 1 and starting reading at verse 18. As we read, we remember this is God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. We're going to ask for God's help to understand this now, so let's pray together. Our gracious God, we need your help to understand these verses. We know them very well. We hear them every Christmas. And yet, help us not to let our familiarity be contemptuous. Help us instead to seek to understand and to believe what it is you are saying to us here and now today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I am sure that if, if I went out onto the streets of Newry today or tomorrow and started asking people what is the best thing about Christmas, that a lot of people would say it's family. Family is the best thing about Christmas. And that's hard to disagree with. I, I think we all love getting the family together at Christmas. Having all of the crack that we haven't had for maybe a year or if you were like us and in lockdown for a few years. It's been about three years since we've seen people at Christmas. We like to see the children opening their presents. We like to see the joy on their faces. Sitting next to granny at the dinner table pulling crackers. Hearing all those terrible jokes for another year. It's just great to have the family together at Christmas. I wonder if I then went on to ask people what's the worst thing about Christmas. Would many of the same people also say family? Family is the worst thing about Christmas. Having to go and visit those annoying cousins or have them come round to your house. And by the way, if you don't think you have any annoying cousins, maybe, just maybe, you are the annoying cousins. I'm just saying. We have to put up with all those same jokes that we heard last year and the year before and the year before. And the children, they're just, they're not grateful the way they used to be, are they? 
They're not thankful for everything that they have. They always want more. I am sure that I am not the only one to have that hissed argument with my wife under our breath or telling the children off, hoping that no one else will hear it. I heard a story about a man this week who managed to have a fight with his wife on Christmas morning about a present that they bought for their daughter and she loved. And yet they still managed to fall out about it before breakfast. I hope that I'm not the only one here who knows how he felt. Or maybe family's difficult because there's an empty seat at the table this year. Maybe we're missing someone who we're used to having there and being together with the family is very, very difficult. The best thing about Christmas and the worst thing about Christmas. When it comes to families, it's complicated. It's complicated. Everybody has a, a complicated family. I want to take us, us to take some time in God's word today and look at the family of Jesus. And not to look at his family tree or his history. We, we saw that last week. I want to look at his immediate family, his parents, Mary and Joseph. What we see in this passage of Matthew chapter 1 is that just like our families, with Jesus' earthly family, it's complicated. It's complicated. Let's begin by thinking about Mary. Mary isn't actually the focus of this passage. Joseph is the focus, but we do learn some things about Mary. The main thing we learn is that she's pregnant. Verse 18 tells us she was with child. The thing is, though, this is before she was married, before she and Joseph had consummated their marriage. In other words, Mary was a virgin. Now, those who have been reading the wee devotional book, the the wee red uh, book by Sinclair Ferguson, you'll know that the birth of Jesus was quite normal. It happened in the usual way, but the conception was miraculous. The conception was miraculous. Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus had no earthly father. His father is God himself. Now, I don't have to tell you how remarkable that is. Things don't happen that way. Virgins don't have babies. In fact, it's never happened before. And it will never happen again. Jesus is the only person in the history of the world to be born of a virgin. This is really, really good news. It's really good news. In fact, it's one of those truths that the Christian faith hangs on. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. I'm not saying you need to understand it. Nobody understands it. That's why it's called a miracle. I'm saying we need to believe it. And actually, it shouldn't be too hard to believe. If we accept that God is the one who made the heavens and the earth, that he made everything from nothing, well, it shouldn't be too much of a stretch to believe that he could create life from nothing in the womb of a virgin. But let me explain why it's good news and why it's one of the points that the Christian faith hangs on. Why is it that when the early church fathers were writing the Apostles' Creed, why did they include the virgin birth? 
None of the miracles of Jesus are included. Nothing about his healing ministry. And yet, the virgin birth is given attention. Well, the reason why is explained for us in verse 21. We've read it a number of times already today. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Our assurance of pardon for the month of December, and this is a really important verse. Jesus is the one who will save us from our sins. And only Jesus can do that because he is the only son of God, born into this world of a virgin, untainted and unstained by the sin of Adam. You see, if, as many people would like us to believe, Mary was simply pregnant in the usual way, then Jesus is no more than the son of some Lothario running around Nazareth. Let me tell you now, that would not be good news. Because there's a vast difference between the son of some Lothario and the son of God. There's a vast difference when it comes to the whole saving people from their sins business. I know which one I trust with my life. I know which one I would want to belong to in life and in death. You see, friends, I'm trusting this man, Jesus, to get me to heaven whenever I die. I'm trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins, for everlasting life. The son of God can do that. The son of some Nazarene, Lothario, cannot. And so we believe, as the creed teaches, based on this very passage of the Bible, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And so, not having an earthly father, but having God as his father, Jesus is born sinless, without sin, the only person ever to be born sinless, the only person ever born to save his people from their sins. Now you might be saying to me, Jamie, why do I need saving? I live a good life and things are going pretty well. What do I need saving from? Well, the answer is very simple. You need saving because you're a sinner. Sin is the root of all of the problems in the world today. I know that, unlike me, you all have real jobs. You work during the week. You know that I only work one day a week. And so I have all this time during the week to watch television shows and listen to radio programs like Stephen Nolan. And they're full of complaints, full of all of the difficulties of this world. I hear about them every day. People who are in difficult circumstances, problems with education and health in our own country, problems with the cost of living, the price of food, the price of fuel, problems because of the troubles in our own country, the wars and injustice that rage across the world. I want to say to you today that these are real problems and they should not be minimized or ignored. They are genuine problems, but they are all symptoms of a greater problem. They are symptoms of the sinfulness of the human heart. I was talking to a lady about this during the last week, and she's a gardener. So I was saying to her that the problems we see in the world around us are like docking leaves. 
Have you ever tried to remove docking leaves from your lawn? You will know that simply ripping the leaves off doesn't solve the problem. What you need to do is you need to dig down and you need to take it out by the root. And so as we look across our world, we see lots of problems. We see all these docking leaves, weeds everywhere. And the things that I've mentioned, well, that's only a few. What we so often try and do in our society and culture is we try and just rip it out by the leaves. And we might have some success with that. We, we get rid of the leaves and, and it looks like things are better for a while. But while the root is still in the ground, the problem will always resurface. What we need is someone who can take care of the root. Someone who can save us from our sins. And we can't do that for ourselves because there's sin in us. We cannot save ourselves. Back to verse 21. He will save them from their sins. Not sin in some vague sense. Not sin that's just out there somewhere in the world. He will save them from their sins. The sin is ours. The root of the problems in this world lies within each one of us. At the start of the 20th century, one of the British newspapers posed a question, what is wrong with the world? And they asked for submissions in essay form as part of a writing competition. The author G.K. Chesterton wrote a submission. What is wrong with the world? This is what Chesterton wrote. Dear sirs, I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Have we grasped that? Have we realised that we are the problem? That we are desperately sick from sin? That the problems we have in this world, both personally and on a global scale, are due to sinfulness? Have we grasped the need we have for someone who has no sin? To rescue us. Someone who can be made sin for us on our behalf. And and face the punishment and penalty of sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. We sorely need a saviour. Someone who can save his people from their sins. And that someone is Jesus and only Jesus. Born of the Virgin Mary. He is the only one. You can give hope to us in life and in death. No matter what else you do in this life. No matter what else you do. Great and powerful things. Or small and humble things. Please trust in the Lord Jesus. To forgive you. To save you from your sins. And so we move on to Joseph. Because I think as we read through the passage, Joseph gives us a pattern for how we should react, how we should respond to this good news of the virgin birth. Joseph has given much or most of the attention in this passage. And I think that's probably to do with the fact that Matthew wants us to know Jesus is really born in this line. He's really born in the line of David. That's how the angel refers to Joseph. Son of David. 
Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is born in this line and he will reign on the throne of David forever with an everlasting kingdom. But I think it's also helpful for us to to track with Joseph. It's only a few verses in our Bibles, but this is an absolute roller coaster ride for Joseph. First of all, he finds out that Mary is pregnant. What must he have been thinking? He knew the baby wasn't his, and so he comes to the conclusion that Mary has been unfaithful, the same conclusion we would have come up with. But I want you to notice the great integrity of this man, Joseph. He didn't fly off the handle. He didn't act rashly. He didn't want to make a spectacle of this girl. He knew the shame she was facing. And he didn't want to heap on top of that. What a true word is spoken about Joseph in verse 19, that he was a just man. And so in humility, in gentleness, he decided to divorce her quietly, or as the King James puts it, put her away privily. I think here we see the mark of this man. And remember, God in God's wisdom has chosen this man, Joseph, to be the adoptive father of Jesus. Joseph is not perfect. He's not sinless. Like you and me, he too needs a saviour. But there is something of the work of God's spirit in the life of Joseph. And that marks him out as one who knows, who loves and who, who obeys God. It seems to me that Joseph has a gentle heart. And although he is likely bruised by this news of Mary's pregnancy, in his bruising, he's brought closer to God. And he's made more into the image of his Redeemer, this baby which is yet to be born. Joseph acted with godly wisdom in this instance. And he decided not to do anything rash or harsh immediately. He decided to sleep on the matter. And we know how important it was that Joseph went to bed that night before he acted. He didn't know, but that night an angel came to him in a dream and unfolded a mystery for Joseph. The knot that was tangled for him was untangled and he was able to see clearly exactly what was going on and what he should do. I have to point out, friends, God does not ordinarily speak to people in dreams. It happens occasionally in Scripture, but that's not the norm. Even in the Bible, that's not how God ordinarily speaks. And it seems to happen most especially when there's a great movement or, or an act of God is imminent. And we would expect that with the birth of the Messiah. So I don't think you should be expecting an angel to appear in your dreams. But that doesn't stop us from seeking to cultivate wisdom in our lives. Wisdom to know how to do and when to do the right thing. It's not an easy thing to come by. Wisdom is difficult. But the Bible is clear in the book of Proverbs that the beginning of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. And so it's interesting to see what the angel says to Joseph. The angel says, do not be afraid. What is it that Joseph is not to be afraid of? He's not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. 
You see, there is a godly fear, a fear of the Lord which leads to wisdom and stops us from being afraid of everything else. Stops us from being afraid to follow God's will. Godly fear comes from knowing God through his word. It comes from knowing and understanding the law of God as it's found in the Ten Commandments. And knowing that those commandments are given for our good. The commandments are not oppressive, they're given for our blessing. Wisdom to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. To know how to please God and not displease him. Because living in the light of God's word is for our flourishing as human beings. You want to be the best you you can be? Follow the Ten Commandments. Living according to the Ten Commandments is what is best for us. And it's the way we can know that God's blessing will be upon us. That he will lift up his countenance and make his face to shine upon us and give us peace. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so we see that Joseph is a pattern for us in the Christian life. You see what happens in verse 24? Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did what was commanded to him. What wonderful obedience. Knowing that the Lord has commanded something which is right, Joseph obeys. He's heard the good news and he responds to that good news by obeying God. Friends, we've heard that same good news this morning. That which is conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And Mary will bring forth a son and his name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this is done to fulfill what is spoken by the Lord, by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Friends, that's the good news. That's the gospel. There is a saviour for sinners, born of a virgin. His name is Jesus, and he is God with us. What wonderful news. Joseph responded in faith. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. Joseph, I think, is our pattern. He's our example in this passage. He shows us what it is to accept Jesus as our Lord and saviour. It's not easy for Joseph to do. He is still to meet this baby. But yet he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus as the one who could save his people from their sins. Let me pray for us.